Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. This is the sixth week on the Beatitudes. And in doing this, we're going to follow our normal pattern, which is opened up at Matthew 5. I know it will come up on the screen uh, at back behind you. And um, we're going to read that out in a moment. But if you have your Bibles, I always find it's really helpful to know where Matthew chapter 5 is. So I encourage you to do that. Matthew 5. And um, we're going to read these Beatitudes out loud together. uh, Which has been, I think, our sort of regular practice in this series. And I would like us to stand if we're able. If not, then not to worry. But if you're able, let's stand. And we're going to read this together. Verses 3 to 10. So as I dive in, I'm expecting not to be on my own by the end of the sentence. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Now, I want to remind you, um, at the probably the expense of repeating yourselves, but if you're new here, um, this might just help you shape where this is. Um, Matthew sets this out uh, in such a fashion that we're not meant to take any little bit in isolation. He, he doesn't do that. So it's a really a five-chapter unit, and it starts in Matthew chapter 4 and at verse 23, and, uh, and it goes through to the end of chapter 9. So Matthew 4 verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then when you get to Matthew chapter 9, you get to verse 35, it's, all, it's a, pretty much an identical phrase. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then Thank you very much for that. But between these two sections, we have what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that is followed by a collection of different accounts of healings and miracles. I want to say this is brilliantly written. Absolutely brilliantly written. So much so that you, you can't have the Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, is regarded as the, as the most... Uh, what's it... The, The greatest teaching that's ever been spoken from a man's lips. You can't have the Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount without having the same Jesus who healed the leper, stilled the storm, and cast out demons. You can't have... It's the same Jesus. That's why he bookends it in Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35. This is the same Jesus. Some thoroughly admire brilliant ethical teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. But they don't want the supernatural events of calming a storm and certainly not casting out demons. 
They don't like the supernatural aspect. They don't want a faith that encompasses the supernatural. You can't have one without the other. That's what Matthew is making out here. On the, others, on the other hand, others, on the other hand, have a charismatic fascination with the supernatural. I've loved the supernatural. They'll dive into the supernatural, they're just, they're, but they're less impressed with what Jesus has to say about everyday life. You can't, it is the same. So they're less, they're less impressed with the lifestyle that Jesus speaks about. You know, pray for those who persecute you. Forgive those who sin against you. Keep your word. His personal work and power is inseparable. My friends, he's the same Jesus. He is the same Jesus. Therefore, it matters how you live. It's quite clear from the Sermon on the Mount that how you conduct your sex life is important to him. It's quite clear that if you want to follow Jesus, then your attitude to money is important to him because you cannot serve both God and money. Here's a lifestyle thing here. The point Matthew is making is that you cannot have a Jesus that suits you. Just down in the Eden Center, there's the Build-A-Bear shop. Um, some of you may have been, parents, you may have been to the Build-A-Bear. And you can choose your bear, and you can choose your colors, and you can choose your clothes, and you can, choose, you, can choose, you can make a bear for you. Jesus won't let you do that. You can't make him up for you. He won't let you do it. He is the same Jesus, word and power. So our beatitude today is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let me pick up on three things here. I often do three things. I was hoping to do two, and it may be the second or third blend into one. I don't know. Anyway, here's where we're going. Why the heart? Why the heart? Secondly, what is purity of heart? And thirdly, how can I keep my heart pure? What, what responsibility do I have in that? So let us start. Why the heart? So it's really interesting to note, well, I find it that way, that Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now, I fully realize that phrase, born again, has different meanings to different people. Um, It may not do so much in here, but in truth, let me be absolutely clear, there is no other kind of Christian. There is no other kind of Christian. There are not two types of Christian. Oh, we're the born again type, we're the not born again type. I I see nothing of Jesus' teaching that says, now to those who are not born again Christians, Christians, this is what I say to you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You, he, you, there's only one type of Christian, and that is born again. A person cannot see or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's absolutely crucial. It's a matter, you see. And therefore, it's a matter of the heart. That's the point. Not about a nice heart. It's about a new heart. It's not about being reformed. It's about being transformed. The reasoning in our culture over the last hundred years and more 
is that all you have to do to sort man's troubles out is change their environment. Or it does, if you want to change people, change their environment. Give them a better education. Give them better housing. Give them better infrastructure in the nation. Just give them that and it will change people. But you and I, we can see through history, we can look back a hundred years and say, it's made no difference. I mean, I'm all for that. Believe me, I'm all for that. Better housing, I'm all for that. Better education, I'm all for that. But that is not the question. See, the point is, is that when man fell, Adam and Eve, they fell in paradise. So you couldn't get a better environment than that. The problem is the heart. That is the point. Therefore, we're not about reforming society and our conduct and our manners. This is about being transformed, transforming hearts and lives of individual sinners from the inside out. This is what this is about. Jesus is very concerned about the heart. Blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now John Piper says this, which I passed across to one of our guys in the office the other day, and he said, sort of, Whoop, what's that? So John Piper is an author of some uh, very, very good books. He's a very profound teacher. And he's over from the States. And he says, Jesus wouldn't be satisfied if we were a society without adultery. There's your line. And then, in, in other words, he's saying, he goes deeper than that. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully with, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus will always go deeper. We want to touch the surface, but Jesus, Jesus will go deeper. Jesus is concerned about your heart. Well, what, what does the Bible mean when it says heart? Well, culturally, we have to reinterpret the word. In our culture, we have to reinterpret the word heart. See, our use of the word heart, aside from the physical organ of the body, is primarily connected to emotional. That's where it sort of, that's how we sort of tend to understand it in our culture. That is not the Bible's understanding of the word. From the heart, all the issues of life come. Emotions are not the sole domain of the heart. As some would think, and as Valentine's Day would seek to impress us with, it is not. The heart is the mind, emotion, and will. It's the very essence of a person. It's the root and source of your thinking, feeling, and actions. It is, uh, it is, it is basically who we are, the essence of our being and personality. That's what the heart is. So biblically, that's how it's it. Mind, emotion, will. So it's crucial and critical to your life that you understand about the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he said it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. For out of his heart come evil thoughts. It's an interesting little line that, isn't it? Always comes with thinking. First the thought, then the action. 
For out of a man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, etc. Now the Pharisees, the religious people of Jesus' day, were fixated on the outside. In other words, what you did on the outside. Can we just have that um, iceberg up? I know this has gone on. I've used this a number of times. Uh, on this iceberg, that you've got 10% of the iceberg that is above the surface of the water. And you have 90% here that goes underneath. What people tend to do is they live their life and they play around with the life on top of the... I've got my... Um, that, they, that 10%. Why? Because that's what everybody else sees. So they, that's how they fashion their lives. So that everybody will see the 10%. That becomes the most important thing. But it isn't. Because in the heart are all the issues of life. And that's the stuff underneath the surface. That's the stuff that will sink you. That's the stuff that will make your life break or make it good. It's what's going on underneath the surface. So the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, would make sure they were seen praying. They would make sure they were giving their offerings. They would make sure they were doing all the outside things. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's, it's from out of the heart that all the problems come. It's what's underneath the surface. Now, I do this on exploring leadership, and we take it on a, on a particular tack of self-awareness and all the rest of it. That's uh, an advertisement for exploring leadership. Um, but people find this is really telling. See, and Jesus said, Jesus said, you are all about this. But really, actually, your whole life is about that. It's the 90% that are the drives and motives and desires that are going on in you. And you need to know them. You need a new heart. You need a pure heart. This is what Jesus is talking about. Okay, let's take that off. Ron will tell me I've had plenty of mileage out of that one. But God's promise to Ezekiel is that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's God's promise to every believer. I'll give you a new heart. So Christians, it all starts with being born again. New heart, new life. It's the door to the life of God. Now, stay with me here if you've already stayed with me. So some people make the doorway. And they respond to Jesus and stay on the doorstep. And forever their life is about what happened that day when they gave, submitted their life to Jesus. That is the sole story of their life that day but Jesus never intended us to stay on the doorstep the whole point was come on in I have a radical new life for you don't stand on the doorstep on Thursday evening I was at the Alpha course and Richard Wyatt was giving his testimony and um, uh, Richard had been on the Alpha course many a number of years ago and he was giving his testimony what Jesus had had done in his life and how the Alpha Course had helped. But it didn't stop at that point. I was so encouraged. I really loved hearing his story. That His story had gone on. And it hadn't always been easy. But you could see he was going on in God and finding new places in God. 
So don't you stay on the doorstep, my friends. You'll waste your life. Jesus says, come on in. I've got a great life. I've got a new life. I've got life to the full. And he wants us to grab hold of it. And it starts with a new heart. So, having said that, I don't know, there may be somebody here or a number of you here, and you've been coming a little while. And you know God is knocking on the door. And you're thinking, I can't do this. Well, the truth is you can't. But Jesus can. All you have to do is respond to him. Your life in Christ starts with a response to Jesus Christ. Born again, your new life, a new heart I'll put in you. It starts with responding to Jesus Christ. This could be a day, you know. This could be a day. I don't know. All I would say is, don't miss it, because it's, it's a radical new life. Actually, it's the life you've always wanted. You've always wanted. So, what is purity of heart? Well, so what is, what, uh, what is purity of heart? So, it's best to begin what, what it isn't. So, purity of heart, blessed is man who has a pure heart. It's, it's not perfection, now, some people see it that way, but it's not perfection. The most helpful definition would be that purity of heart is single. It's uncontaminated. It's absolutely unmixed, single, fully purposed. Uh, Spurgeon writes, without folds or creases, fully open, nothing hidden. Jesus said, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. That's the King James Version, by the way. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. So David in Psalm 24, he writes these words. He said, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? And David says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then he says, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. What is purity of heart? It's where God is first. But in this psalm, David understands that other things can get in and take the place. He understands that our hearts can be polluted. He says, he who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Anything can serve as an idol, my friend. You know, actually, some of the best things in our life can become idols. It's when we take the good and turn it into an absolute. Where we will do anything to achieve that desire. And in the end, that desire will own us. And he no longer will. And we'll make good an idol. So, take this person... For instance, here in Tim Keller's book, he writes a brilliant book called Counterfeit Gods. So if you've not got this on your bookshelf, you ought to. If you want to grow in Christ, get this book. And those on the book still will tell me, I wish you'd have told us before. But anyway, he writes, Tim Keller says, My wife and I once knew a single woman, Anna, who wanted desperately to have children. She eventually married And contrary to the expectations of her doctors, was able to bear two healthy children 
despite her age. But her dreams did not come true. Her overpowering drive to give her children a perfect life made it impossible for her to actually enjoy them. Her overprotectiveness, fears, and anxieties, and her need to control every detail of her children's life made the family miserable. Anna's oldest child did poorly in school and showed signs of serious emotional problems. The younger child was filled with anger. There's a good chance her drive to give her children wonderful lives will actually be the thing that ruins it. Getting your heart's desire may end up being the worst thing that ever happened to you. It's a very, very telling book, this. You want to read it. It's really, really helpful. So when the, even the best things can become an idol, the human heart has the capacity to be an idol factory. Now, Christians that I know that are no longer here, and strangely enough, it's because they received such a blessing from God, they got caught up with the blessing and lost the one who gives them the blessing. I can give you numerous people who have done that. That is so sad, honestly. The person who seeks acceptance and wants to be accepted by everybody is then controlled by the people he or she wishes to please. They become an idol. A brilliant physicist said he thought that establishing his career and becoming successful would be his greatest challenge. And so he focused all his energy into that challenge. He longed for significance, and he got it. But not at home. At work, he said, I write a memo, and it all gets done. At home, all the rules change. And I struggle to communicate to my wife and my children. He had achieved his goal, his great success. He was after significance because actually deep in us, we're out of significance, security, acceptance. He was after significance, he got it, and his life was ruined. This idol, my friends, ruined his life. In ancient times, the deities were bloodthirsty and hard to please. Make sure you know this. They still are. They still are. What is an idol? It's anything, anything that is more important to you than the Lord. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your family, your job, anything that is more important to you than the Lord. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Jesus promises this. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You won't find it anywhere else but in him. Hallelujah. That is true. You won't find it anywhere else. You want to see God? How do we see God? It's a good question. We see God when when we come into his presence. We come into the presence of God. That's how, that's how we see God. Like this morning, when we gathered together as God's people, such a sense of God's presence at one point. I thought, oh, God, you are here. How do we see God? We see God in his presence. It comes in his presence. How do we see God? We see God in his grace. 
We see him in his grace. Do you know, I have limits of grace. I'm sorry to tell you, I have limits of grace. I don't realize my limits of grace until I realize I've reached them. And that is as far as I'm going because that person deserves no longer any more grace from me. But I find that his grace is unlimited. Unlimited. And so I keep walking this walk with him and I find more and more of his grace. In spite of what I know, he still ladles out grace for me every day I walk in the grace of God. You're going to get a great talk next week, you know, from um, Terry. So he's master at this. How do I I see... How do I see it's the grace of God? I see God in holiness too. Sometimes, you know, the presence of God, and I realize I'm almost on tiptoe because his presence is so precious. And then I he speaks to me in that. that he's holy. So Isaiah comes into the presence of God, falls on his face, comes apart in the presence of God. And all the angels are going, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's a holiness. So, what can I do to keep my heart pure? I can, one of the things I can do is, um, and it brought to my attention this week, or the other week, not this week, the other week, uh, it's listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. See, I give you a new heart, and I put a new spirit in you. And there's the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So what happened was, is I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was recounting a matter that involved somebody else decades ago, absolutely decades ago. And I was recounting all of that, and the histrionics, and the story, and all the rest of it. And um, just a little bit later, I felt this unease, just unease inside in my spirit. And I, I felt the Lord say, you were unkind. When you recalled that event about that person, you were unkind. So I did this. I said, that's the trouble with me. I'm too sensitive. I'm just too sensitive. Which, of course, you all know. And, uh, but I couldn't get away from it. And the prompting of the Holy Spirit just nagged me. He said, you're unkind. And, you know, I couldn't get it off my back. I just couldn't. I thought, oh, it'll blow over. I'll have a night's sleep. <laughs> it'll blow over. It didn't blow over. It nagged me first thing in the morning, you know. You're just unkind. And I, I went back to the person I'd spoken to, and I said, um, yeah, I, something I said the other day, when I recalled that event, I, I didn't feel comfortable about it. It's the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as soon as I spoke it out and I cleared it, done deal, finished. I, thought, I just felt released again. There's promptings of the Holy Spirit. We, I probably get them many, many times, and most of the time I miss them. But he will prompt you. How do you keep your heart pure? There's little promptings of the Holy Spirit. How else can you keep your heart pure? Just, I, just submit your heart heart to the, your life to the Holy Spirit. It's really important. There's an electrical engineer in the early 1900s. His name was Charles Steinmetz. He worked for General Electric. 
And on one occasion, he, he got retired. And uh, General Electric, on one occasion, after his retirement, were absolutely baffled. They had a breakdown with the complexity of machines that they had at General Electric. This is a lot of money. This is a lot of money, these machines. And so this guy is a genius. He's an absolute genius. They could not find out what was wrong. It was costing time. It was costing money. And so they called him in, and they said, could you find out? Could you sort this out? So he spent a few minutes walking around the machines and then stopped, took a piece of chalk out of his pocket and put a cross on one part of the machine, just one piece of the machine. He said, there's your problem. And, uh, and that was it. went away, and they, they took, the, took that part of the machine aside, took it apart, spot on. Absolutely spot on. He was absolutely right. And then um, he sent them a bill. And the bill was for $10,000. $10,000. I just mime that if you're just listening to this on, uh, you know, what uh, downloaded. $10,000. So um, they were shocked. So they asked him to itemize his bill. And he sent back an itemized bill. One dollar for making a mark. $9,999 for knowing where to put it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit knows where to put his mark. He is for you, not against you. The promptings of the Holy Spirit are a grace of God on our lives. Do listen to him. God has wired us for community. So you were never meant to live out this life in God on your own. So I'm just doing a quickie here. Please, if, if you are coming in here every week and not connected, I'm telling you, get connected. It's part of your journey in Christ. Don't waste it. Don't sit here on your own from week to week. Come here, get your whatever it is for you for the week, and then go away. You, you can't do that. God has wired us for community. He's designed us for community. It's not good that man should be alone. Get connected. Your individual growth in Christ is a community project. It's not an individual one. It's a community Why is it like that? Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in community with one another, and it's just a life of God, and it's for your life too. So I'm just encouraging you, just get in. Get in. Don't sit on the sidelines, please. Just make your mark, fill in the form, or whatever you need to do. Tell that person, I need to get connected. Because this is where the church, you're meant to be, if you're a Christian, you're meant to be part of the family of God. That's your, that's God's called you to this. Lastly, I'm just going to say this. Whatever you do, forgive ruthlessly. Forgive ruthlessly. Forgiveness makes you grow. Unforgiveness makes you shrink. There isn't any middle ground. Uh, Some people hold matters and they stroke them like pets. You know, your pet snake and you, you, you... you know, I think about that matter and I, and I go over it again and I, and I, and I, and I enjoy the bitterness for a, for a season and all those sorts of things. And then you'll find a snake will bite you and you'll be poisoned. 
and bitterness will shrink your life. Forgive ruthlessly. I tell you, it's not easy. I was talking to somebody just in a break. It is not easy. C.S. Lewis said, once said that everyone believes forgiveness is a good idea until they have to forgive someone. So we mustn't forget also that our hands are not clean. We have hurt. And some of it we meant to hurt. And some we didn't mean to hurt. We're completely oblivious about it. We don't have clean hands like that. So forgive my friends ruthlessly. Amen? All right.